You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by... Animé par Alison Burns. J.D. Papillon. Et Joanie Farah. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. All right, this week on the Dirty Feet podcast, we have another Concordia grad guest who is also presenting at Tangente. It seems to be the year for that. It's Lara Kramer, who is a, a wonderful choreographer and dance artist who is presenting Native Girl Syndrome at uh, Tangente this week upcoming week. She studied at Concordia University in contemporary dance. She's also done a lot since then. Uh, she is uh, an Aboriginal descendant and works from that place uh, to, to inspire her work. Uh, Lara, thank you so much for, for joining us today. You're welcome. Perhaps you can let us know a little bit more about, uh, about the training and, and what you've done in the dance realm. Since, you're, you mean since Concordia? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just mention that um, Native Girl Syndrome will be my third full-length work. And so I'll maybe talk chronologically a little bit about my work that way. So out of school, I, I dove into uh, my first full-length work, Fragments. I really focused on my, sort of my goal was to really focus in on um, my choreographic eye versus, let's say, my work within performance. And it was with that work that I think I first really um, started to research more my, my history and connection to my Aboriginal roots. And that worked out with a lot of uh, my mother's experience um, about the Indian residential schools. I guess I can talk, do you want me to explain a little bit in between two when you mentioned training? Like, are we talking about... That'd be lovely. Whatever okay. you think informs yourself as an artist mm. that you think is relevant to us mm -hmm. understanding the context uh, for this discussion. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I've done a lot of different things. Like, I've definitely think it was good right out of school to also uh, take time outside of Canada. I spent some time in Europe training and just, I think, getting a feel for the world of dance outside of um, what I had experienced um, at Concordia. And I think that, in a sense, just opened a lot of, uh, well, just opened my eyes to sort of a broader picture. Um, you know, same thing, spending time in New York. And I think also very young, which also influenced my um, process or just, let's say, way in which I work um, creatively with my work was touring right away. Like with Fragments, that's a work that I, I ended up touring for about, I think, just over three years. And I think having, you know, my first uh, full-length work receiving that much opportunity and I'll just reiterate that t touring was within Canada I think it it came with a lot of uh, big learning curves not just uh, with you know how the the trials and errors of touring itself but more so um, the big learning curves was with reaction to um, how my work is received with public and having different avenues to show that work um, in different environments, different publics, different communities. Um, and it, I feel like it always gave me a perspective on sort of w how I would maybe place the Montreal 
dancing. And it always made me feel grateful coming back to Montreal because I realized how much resources we have here and how fortunate it is to be a young emerging artist in Montreal. And some of those cities include uh, Ottawa, Toronto, Banff, Vancouver? Yeah. Yeah. Any others? There's Peterborough as well. And I think to date, that's, that's it. Vancouver, I think it's, I've been there now three times showing work. Are you a native Montrealer? No. Okay. I'm from London, Ontario. I've been in Montreal, it's 10 years now. And you, you consider this kind of your artistic base? Yes, definitely. Have I derailed your... your uh... Thought process? Yeah. Uh, not too much. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I could talk to you about my, the second full-length work I did. It was, it was a very different approach. I, for that work, I decided to, I needed to be inside of my work. So it was sort of this um, this desire to understand my work from the inside and and to feel that creative process uh, that way. However, you know, at at the end, uh, when I completed that work, I felt like um, I really I I took this decision at the end of uh, the performances, and that's I'm talking about of good moral character, that I needed to step outside of my work again. Like I really missed seeing my work and being able to, to fully craft my work from the outside. And so um, at that, I think even before I finish uh, the first like premiere of Good Moral Character, Native Girl Syndrome was already like sort of in the making of, like at least in terms of grant writing and on that sort of like fundamental level. And I knew I, I, like for this work, I wanted to be on the outside. For of good moral character, you did end up recasting it with another performer. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Interestingly enough, I, I recently showed that um, in July at the Dancing on the Edge Festival, and that choice came to recast came with also uh, the birth of my daughter. I had a baby in April. And I just felt that um, I didn't want the demand of having to jump into my work uh, so quickly after this huge physical change. And I think it also just gave me this opportunity to, to, to re-examine or re-look at that work from the outside. And it just felt like, um, yeah, a, a good um, opportunity to start to feel like I'm taking more decision-making on, on the craft of my work. You're looking for a different kind of nourishment when you started creating uh, this new work mm -hmm. in terms of being on the outside from the beginning, which mm -hmm. you consider different as a process? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it coincides a lot, too, with like the choice to be on the outside. I wanted, you know, a sense of being able to craft my work, but I also felt like I needed to hone in on being able to fully rely, not, I don't want to say fully rely, but also know that the way in which I communicate my, the desire of my aesthetic, the desire of intention, um, just to really get to a place of being able to be very articulate with my dancers through words and not just the body. I think with my last process, there was so much, uh, like physical communication, you know, this role of like exchange of the body. And and with Native Girl Syndrome, because it's such a dense, the topic is quite dense and there's a lot of history, uh, there's a lot of exchange through words and through 
I guess, bringing the artists, the performers into a state, into a universe. And so I, I think the approach on the outside allowed me to really take care of, I guess, nourishing and feeding the artists and creating a space for them to enter a state of body, because that is essentially what the work is um, or I'd say like the avenue of the work that's taken, it's, it's more about state of body than it is about physical form. And for that second work uh, of good moral character, mm -hmm. did stepping out of the work bring a new kind of understanding of, of the work itself and of how you had, you know, how you had gotten to that work, seeing it performed by someone else? Yeah, I think it... it It's interesting having this, because uh, I, I had sort of two tours to Vancouver the, earlier this year. One was in February, uh, where I showed uh, the first development of Native Girl Syndrome, and then in the summer of Good Moral Character. And it, it was interesting. What really um, struck me, and this is sort of what influenced, I guess, a radical shift in my aesthetics to what I, I'm going to be presenting this week, was that both um, these works, and in, including my previous work, or earliest work, Fragments, fell into an aesthetic, I don't want to say fell as in a negative way, but fell into an aesthetic and into a narrative that I feel are, in a sense, it's, it's, I look at it as sort of a recipe. It's like they both... All three of those works, um, not Native Girl Syndrome anymore, but uh, the, the first development of it, were structured in a way of these fragmented scenes, and I strung them together like um, to, to create a narrative. And this is what I mean by my recipe, my recipe of structure. And it's not just, just structure on the whole, but also within those scenes, I felt I was just allowing these moments to exist And I think it originally, that structure worked very well for both fragments and of good moral character. But when I was re-examining um, Native Girl Syndrome, I, I just realized I felt so limited. And I questioned, am I using the structure or this sort of recipe uh, because I'm comfortable with it? Or am I using it actually to serve the work? And so I think having this chance to step outside of, of good moral character, like you're asking, just reconfirms that for me that, okay, I do have a way in which I'm comfortable or I don't know if comfortable is the right way, but habitually will go into um, maybe putting together a full-length work. And I felt like it's, um, I just, I think I, I reached a, a, like a wall. And so when I came back uh, to Native Girl Syndrome this summer, I had uh, a chance to really sort of, I guess, challenge that way I was working and and uh, shift, shift gears a bit. And how did you change your recipe from this, um, this string along of fragments to, to what became Native Girl Syndrome? Uh, well, I'm basically, <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, I basically have a completely different piece. I almost have two versions of Native Girl Syndrome. I'm trying to think if there's any scenes from the original that I've kept. I feel like... There's maybe one scene that's still within the work. But I think the change came from opening the door to how I, I was directing the artists. I came back. Um, I more or less told them that we were going to start 
somewhere else and uh, like everything still informs them like it was great to go through this process and I think for them to to feel like my aesthetic um, but I started uh, leading improvs that would guide the dancers in a way to really um, embody characters embody state of addiction of, of loss of alienation and and uh, it was through like a series of improvs I'd start to grab hold of like images that 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 interests me and I think the other thing that really that I was trying to be really conscious of was not ending moments like just seeing because in my previous work I felt like I would I I would sort of create these scenes that potentially could have gone on longer but I would find a sort of a timing that was for me just and end it and I think with native girl syndrome my attitude was I was also quite influenced with um, being in on like East Hastings in Vancouver and it dawned on me that like it never ends. Like there's no moment of uh, rest. Like you can walk through East Hastings at two o'clock in the afternoon, and it's it's like nighttime craziness, you know. And so with this new work with Native Girl Syndrome, I basically said, you know, for the performers, we're not necessarily traveling back in time or having moments of different times of day. It's one day. It's like the or it's a it's maybe a, a part of a day but it's like I think that helped to feed my uh, direction in terms of structure because it was this realization that the piece is sort of looking at a day in the life of these two characters when you're directing your performers are you giving them this type of description or are you are you feeding them specific words because you, you were saying earlier that you're using more language mm-hmm. to direct them what kind of language Oh, I think I go between, well, what you just described, for sure. I think I can be sometimes very uh, literal in terms of saying, like, for this particular work, a lot of the images are are just even from my, taken in from my day-to-day, you know? It's like images I've seen uh, of, of homeless people on the streets or a description of maybe like an aesthetic I, I've pulled out from someone I've witnessed will come into the work. A lot too is um, I think diving into the history. This work is um, you know influenced and inspired by my grandmother's experience of having migrated from a First Nations community in Ontario to the streets of Winnipeg and I've there, there's so much history there and a lot of um, that too, I think, informs the characters, and it's it's essential that they understand that history. Um, so we're often talking about um, kind of history, culture that influences the work, and also uh, the surroundings. So the example of of Vancouver and East mm-hmm. Hastings, and and all of that. But how much? Um, what I'm really interested in knowing is how much do the actual performers or the people that you choose to work with in any production? How do they influence? Uh, your work. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I I definitely feel that um, with the artists that I have currently, they bring forth a lot to the table. And I think this aesthetic shift that I that happened this summer um, really allowed me to, I'd say, use the artists to their full potential. I think the previous um, her first development I had of Native Girl Syndrome. It was touching on some theatrics, but um, 
Um, and I'll just say my artists who have experience in, in, with uh, theater using text. But when I sort of came back this summer and, and did these series of improvs, I was sort of like, okay, yeah, they've, they've got way more potential than I'm making space for. And so for sure, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's a collaboration, it's an exchange. And it's this sort of marriage of like, well, even just the other day, one of the artists was saying, okay, I just, she was just like questioning how far she can go with something. So for me, it's like, I will create, it's like I'm there to sort of give certain boundaries of how far they can push maybe a moment that's quite theatrical or explosive or what have you. And, and so, yeah. Okay, that might sound like a really clueless guy question, but do you feel that the birth of your child allowed you to let go of some of the stuff that you had done before? Definitely. With a good moral character, it was really about me physically um, exploring the work from the inside. It was such a strong desire, and um, it was something I wanted to transmit to, to while well, Lael Salek was my uh, the other performer. And so it, for me, it was really important to understand the like my physical aesthetic and the relationship that we had being on the out like this might sound silly but you know both uh sort of the conception of my daughter and the birth of native girl syndrome happened um together and it was more or less like it was it was planned and and I knew prior to uh, my pregnancy that I would be on the outside of Native Girl Syndrome for this reason of wanting to, to craft my work. But I think having um, going through the pregnancy really reinforced that because there was a point in which, like, even if I wanted to get super physical, like, I couldn't. <laughs> so... I think it really worked in my favor and it just was sort of this reminder that like the work is still like I don't want to say it's 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 not influenced at all by my physique but it's it's coming still from this really um you know deep place that's I shouldn't give too much the piece <laughs> away but the characters in this work experience they have to understand what it is to lose a child. And so I think that there's a lot I can communicate on a level physically in terms of uh, just even how our state is affected, how our state influences our bodies. So I think, yeah, it's it's definitely, um, to answer your question, it did definitely inform the work, but I think it informed it in a way that was very... It's like, it's very kinesthetic. It's very, uh, yeah, very descriptive and very, like, emotional and very moving more into sort of a realism. And I'll just sort of add on that I was taking the shift into a different aesthetic was also my desire to to move towards something that's a little more influenced, like a documentary versus... Um, let's say like a physical um, Poem? E expressive yeah, narrative yeah 
And I mean, this this work is to some extent very personal. You are basing uh, basing it on the experiences and the narrative of your grandmother mm-hmm. when she did that that switch from London to to Winnipeg. Um, Not London. London's where I'm from. Oh, sorry, from, from somewhere yeah, in Ontario. Yeah, Laxo, Ontario, which is uh, quite north. To, to a bigger city, mm-hmm. Winnipeg. Did you did you ever have a, a difficulty tackling such personal issues because it is related directly to your to your bloodline to to where you come from to some extent? Did you ever feel that you had to censor yourself or with with the with your approach to it or my approach to it? No, I don't. I don't feel I ever censored. I think I think it really just came down to uh, more sort of what the work needed there was a point i'll also mention that for this process i i had um a mentorship with uh, david presso and i can remember at one point just him even asking or i don't even know if it was a question but just sort of commenting that well maybe this work isn't about your grandmother anymore and it just kind of created this freedom of there is this influence of something so personal to me but it also has to have this room to take its own life and so there and to be com- and to always sort of aim to be as objective as i can about the work so i think i never felt like i censored myself i think if anything i'm quite blunt with my dancers and um in terms of what what's being fed for me in creating this universe it's like all the uh historical information I brought into the work, all the sort of uh, statistics and and issues surrounding uh, First Nations on the street, addiction. Um, no, I de- the more the better, I think. I think where I censor, or I don't even say censor, it's, it's when it comes down to the actual editing process of the work, it's, it's more looking at, well, what's essential for the work? I don't want to censor my audience. There's I could definitely put a lot more into it in terms of saying a lot, but I don't know if saying, I don't know how to say this. It's like, I don't want to say everything. I have to say what the what what is best served for the work. There's something curious in the development of your the titles of your work, from mm-hmm. fragments to of good moral character to native girl syndrome, where mm-hmm. it's kind of becoming more clear as you mm-hmm. as you go along. What is that re- representative of? I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's it's interesting because Native Girl Syndrome, the actual title, I'll maybe talk a little bit about that, actually came through uh, my research process during Fragments. Um, there's a link for sure. And I think um, it, I was, gosh, going back to 2008, I was, when I was researching... Um, um, the subject matter around the schools and the children at the residential schools. I came across some text. I'm not sure if it was a non-school teacher who was describing one of the students. And she, uh, to sort of paraphrase, she said, oh, this child, this this girl, she's going to fall to native girl syndrome. It's not an official term. And she was saying, this girl's going to fall to native girl syndrome she's going to become victim of abuse she's going to wind up on the streets she's going to become a prostitute she's going to be in abusive relationships lose all her children become an addict uh be in and out of jail and so as i was reading this i was like hmm that's actually like the description of my grandmother and 
I found it such an interesting term and de quite derogatory, and I hadn't heard it or seen it anywhere else. And I sort of just kind of kept it in the back of my head as that's an interesting term. I want to sort of explore what what is that. And so it came back, and uh, I think it's you know I can talk a little bit about of good mor moral character, but I believe that too is still within the same sort of line of. I guess without skipping around too much, I'll just say the term of good moral character is really looking at, um, I'd say it, it too, in a sense, came from that, a similar place of, uh, I guess, describing one's character based on actions. And so it's like, I feel with that work, it, it in a big way, it was um, quite personal to me in terms of my personal history of, of uh, domestic relationships and of good moral character I, I, I personally felt was still linked to this past of not just something I experienced but also to this history of I'd go back as far as saying intergenerational effects of residential school and so you know for my, I'll speak a little bit more about my family but for uh, a, a child living through that system residential school um you were a good you were a good child or you were a good person if you followed the christian way you know what i mean if you step out of line you're basically whatever <laughs> you're crap you know it's like you know the residential schools taught you to to basically be be a good christian or uh, a believer and um if you weren't, then you weren't whitewashed and, and you were still a savage. So I feel that uh, has influenced that work on sort of these, these subtexts or the sub-themes. I don't know if you're familiar with Edward Said's work, uh, Orientalism, uh, in which he, he creates a divide between colonialist attitudes and the other, mm. and the other being often feminized and... Um, victimized to some extent uh, do, you, do you feel that these kind of issues per permeate your work and do you feel that colonialist attitudes are something that that you question in your work or is it uh, separate from from your approach i think they're addressed in my work like with native girl syndrome for me you know, it was really important for me to uh, communicate as much as possible to to the performers um of the bias systems in place so I think it is about them also and myself further understanding uh, colonial attitudes and you know when I'm looking at the work and you know it's interesting someone asked me if there's any resolution in the work and I think it's not really about a resolve it's more about creating I guess a further understanding of why you know why are the state of these characters the way they are. And if you start to look at sort of all the systems in place, whether it's the healthcare system or the welfare system or the, our, our legal system, they're all culturally biased. So I don't know if I attack these colonial attitudes so directly or, or as I said, with any resolve, it's more... It's, it's trying to understand them and understand what that feels like for the artists who are inside. 
And in an, I guess, an ideal world, when people are going to see your work at Tangent this week, what what kind of information are you um, hoping they'll come in with? Because I know that it's always like, do you want them to read the program information before or after the piece? Mm. Um, it, I find it's an interesting thing to do they need to know what your background is or do they I don't think at all I don't Mm -hmm. think you need to read the program before (laughs) I think it's sort of like an additive like I think when you come in it's going to be quite I don't want to say obvious but I don't think I think it's not so far from anyone's day-to-day if they actually open their eyes and walk down the street you know in Montreal like it's it's quite like in your face and um, I don't think it's so important for them to know my like history I, I feel like it's just it's such a visceral experience of what's happening and you know I think the program notes are are definitely interesting in terms of maybe what's fed my process or who I am um but I think it's more about the the physical experience. When tackling issues such as um, First Nation issues, um, quite often there can be tropes or cliches mm-hmm. that can be used uh, or perceived, not necessarily voluntarily by, by the artists, but the way that, that the audience is going to read into the work. It's going to be uh, informed by those cliches and tropes we see in popular culture. Was that something you had on your mind when you were creating how the audience was going to bring their own understanding of Native issues and how it was going to affect their their interpretation of the work? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that I always feel a little up against. Um, it was interesting because earlier off air you were mentioning Beat Nation and I think it's, you know, I... Yeah, just even the term Aboriginal contemporary dance creates, I don't know for how many people, but I think there is definitely like an image it does create or or stereotype it maybe feeds. And it's, I don't feel my work falls under um, sort of that notion of what is the dominant norm of Aboriginal image. I guess, yeah, the work for me, I, I, I want to try to create a... a <laughs> I, well, first off, I feel like my aesthetic and my, my work is outside of that dominant norm. And I think that's important. And I think, uh, you know, even with Beat Nation, it's, it's so pertinent that that exists because um, even just that understanding of uh, that stereotype... And that it so strongly exists still in the attitudes and perspectives of a lot of non-native people, um, it's so limiting because it, it, in a way, keeps First Nations static and it keeps keeps them more or less sort of framed in this sort of museum archetype, you know. And and um, it was interesting. Someone asked me, you know, whether they thought my work was traditional or not. And I had a colleague of mine, he said, well, yeah, it's traditional. It's not traditional in that traditional sense of the feathers and this, again, the stereotype of uh, what we would maybe say, oh, this is First Nations and it's this image and it's only this. But it's traditional in the sense that it's current and it's relevant. And um, to put it really bluntly, the, uh, the drunk Indian on the street is current and present and it's a part of you know the effects of assimilation and the effects of genocide but it's not 
I, I think why I'm pushing that to say that it is current and present, and even maybe it sounds radical to say it's traditional, is that it's present and it's and I think the more we continue to dismiss it as something else, then it's not being even embodied in our our minds that it's real or that genocide even happened or that the only valid Indian is that quote unquote traditional Indian who remains in a museum. We spoke earlier about the benefits to you as an artist and and, and your performers touring uh, across Canada. Can we talk about it in the context of of the different uh, public? Yeah, exactly. That you find yourself in, especially in in relationship to kind of the Aboriginal presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel so fortunate. I have to say to have had the opportunity to show work within a more, I'd say, prominent Aboriginal community. Um, like earlier this year, we showed the first development of Native Girl Syndrome. Uh, at the Talking Six Festival, which happens every, I believe it's like the end of February, beginning of March in Vancouver. And um, yeah, I love what Margot Kane is doing um, for that festival. And it's so lovely to have opportunity to show uh, my work there. It was, it was the second time I showed uh, work f- for that festival. And it's it's a it's a mixed festival so there's there's a lot of uh theater as well as music and visual art and it's a gathering and it feels in a way a family like and i know at the heart of sort of margot kane's vision who's the founder of the festival she said it was like creating a family for her community and what was the question again? Just the experience of how it changes? Like how the context changes, how, how, the the, context how, changes. how it feels for you, what the response is of the public. Do you have, are you nervous about presenting in that I feel situation? so at ease, I have to say. I feel, I feel so at ease when I'm sharing my work with uh, like commu- like artistic Aboriginal communities. And I think it's, there's a total um, ex- feeling of acceptance, and you, and you feel it. Like, I mean, and I, and maybe it's the way in which uh, the platform of the way in which they're shown, and it's done in a, I'd say, in a more um, less formal way. Like, there's I've been at that festival now twice, and there's always a sense of, um, you know, everyone's very much. Uh, they're sort of. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm nervous to show work in Montreal because there's so like there's so many uh, artists and critics themselves who are attending, and I and not that that doesn't exist in in the realm within the art, Aboriginal arts community, but I feel that there's sort of a, a more um, I feel very nurtured in that community, and I feel. Maybe it's too with the artist panels and and the the connections I've made. Um, there always feels to be. Um, I think it's also there's a cultural perspective that's very different too. Um, that really contributes to how the work's received and experienced. Well, it's almost in opposition to Stephanie's earlier question. Like the the audience may not have read the program, but they understand the work a lot in oh, a different yeah. way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My, it's all close to home. You know, it's like when I first started showing fragments, and the first time I showed it. Well, when I showed it at the BAM Center, for me was really the moment in which there was a 
more prominent Aboriginal um, community, and it was uh, a lot of my students and colleagues. And to feel their reaction was, um, I mean, it, it. I can't really put it into words, but I. It just. I mean, me. I was just like shit. Like they. They've all lived through this. It's like they're whether it was themselves who went to residential school, or if it was their grandparents or their mothers or siblings, and it's like. Uh, as you just said, there's no program notes or explanation on uh, the like going. You know, I, I feel like Canadians are starting to understand maybe on a surface level what the residential schools mean, but um, for it to be directly affected through your lineage and your family, it's it's something else. And so I think the work speaks differently. I think when it's close to home. So you mentioned during your travels that, you know, um, you, you, you did uh, get into different dance scenes. You mm -hmm. did learn about dance and different perspectives in dance. Did you feel that some other scenes would have a more uh, similar approach or understanding or perspective to the dance scene that you're presently involved with? Yeah, in exactly. terms of dancing, meaning my own personal work mm -hmm. and drive. It's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I sometimes feel really independent within my journey. And for sure, I think there's like I definitely make connections when I tour in terms of having maybe a, um, a similar perspective. And I'd say maybe a similar cultural perspective But in terms of like aesthetic and, and approach. I feel so much of what feeds me and my work and what I connect to is actually outside of the dance community. I'm not, I'm for sure influenced by it, but um, like for me, it's really important to not um, isolate myself to it. I think with touring and with having seen different dance communities in, across Canada, I see how insular Montreal is as a dance community and can be, and there's so much of like, uh, I mean, and it's normal, I think. It's such a... Um, sort of cause reaction to what's yeah I'd say it's just like I think a normal reaction that we are so affected but I've, I feel like I make a real conscious effort to um, really in this way keep keep myself arms length away and and hone in on um, ex like experiences that are going to feed me as an individual and feed me as a person like even my, a lot of my research it's like it's it's not in the dance community it's like it's it's you know in a way I could say it's like field work it's like for me you know spending four days wandering the streets of East Hastings was like I mean fed me so much and it, it, it it's like I'm I don't feel I needed to you know, be around dancers or seeing dance shows to inspire the birth of Native Girl Syndrome or the aesthetic. It's like, no, I needed to 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 smell and breathe and 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 understand that uh, that sort of reality uh, directly. Or you know, again, sort of I might say like field work or research, like going up to my grandmother's community where she's from and understanding how the land informs the body and 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 inspires sort of um, connection to identity and self or or uh, disconnection. Like to me, that's all um, pertinent to my process and what I guess feeds 
my work. And so, yeah, I guess I, I do feel quite like it's an individual journey and, and yeah. When you, when you speak of field work, I just, my mind right away ju jumps to site-specific work and, and field work being, you know, living something, experience something, and then bringing it to your work. Have you ever brought your work to the places that have inspired it? Not yet, you know, and I, I'd love to, I think. Well, actually, not that's not true. When I did fragments, I I did a process. I don't even know if field work's the right term. Like, no, I just kind of really, pulled that out. I really like, like it as a, as a term of, of it's not quite site-specific where you're actually, you know, performing in... in, in no, you're taking street. in the environment yeah, exactly. and just letting it breathe in you and, and dreaming on the land. For me, it's so more about, like, the process of being immersed in an environment and connected to a land that's like influencing and printing on my 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 mind my dreams my subconscious my 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 digestive system everything you know um but yeah during um sort of midway through my process in creating fragments I actually went back to uh, visit Uh, my mother's, uh, the two residential schools she's attended in um, Manitoba. I actually brought my mother with me. It was quite, yeah, that was something else. But the first residential school she attended uh, in Portage La Prairie, it actually is now owned by the reserve. And they were, uh, and I believe they're still sort of utilizing it as, like, I believe there's a university That's, it's probably Brandon University is using part of it for school classrooms. But then they have a section that's sectioned off as a sort of museum where they've got artifacts. And they, um, I think they must have thought I was kind of crazy because they're like, wow, you want to come here and spend a week like hanging out in the school, <laughs> in this room, among all these like artifacts. And, and they were so welcoming. And I guess I was the only artist to date who, who, had this desire to be there and so my mother and I we just spent like a week and they put us up in uh they kind of gave me the space it was I guess where the boys slept to sort of just be in and I did a lot of journaling I did create some movements vocabulary uh that was really influenced by just um the aesthetic of the place and the environment um but a lot of it again was just about the exchanges the the experiences Um, I mean, I could go on and on about what happens there, but um, we ended up creating sort of a, an exchange with the community. We invited a lot of survivors and elders to come meet with my mom and I, and I just talked a bit about my process, my work, and I did share some material. Um, it wasn't by anything like fragments, the actual piece, but it was it was definitely sort of a, a, a part of a process that was exchanged there. I just found out, well, I always knew that I had um, blood, but I didn't know from where or mm -hmm. what. But it uh, turns out I have Mohawk and Ojibwe mm -hmm. from both sides of the family. And uh, my great-grandmother, uh, who was native, was buried in a cemetery with a tombstone that had nothing on it at all in, mm. in a separate cemetery because there's a French cemetery, an English cemetery. And then they had a cemetery where she was rejected from the community and mm. and um, they found maps of this like ghost, secret, um, kind of rejected cemetery and, and that's where my great-grandmother is buried. So I just discovered that um, 
after seeing, after what was it that I saw of your work? Anyway, so I thought it was this really crazy timing because I ended up seeing your work and then this happened and I, where it was this whole side of me culturally that I had no idea mm -hmm, existed mm -hmm. because I was always just a French, white French Canadian, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And I stopped my, my research or family tree there. But uh, yeah, just thought I would. That's so Not interesting. Really. And can, is there more, like, uh, do you have family who knows more of that history? Like, um, Well, it was always this denial thing uh, of um, almost like, you know, uh, somebody being, well, no, I'm not, I'm not Indian, but they actually are mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it wasn't accepted in the community. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess there's, it's hard to get answers when people are kind of in denial For about sure. it. But I don't, I personally don't see why there should be. Um, well, that's the, to, hide to it, me, right? that's total, the, re, the, like, speaks of, like, the time period and the era of living resident. I wouldn't be surprised if you had family members who went to residential school, because mm -hmm. the whole, you know, point was, I mean, I mean, I was getting, trying to get rid of the natives, but also a rejection of culture, of identity, and mm -hmm. it's interesting, because my partner, uh, like, Ruby's dad, he's got some Iroquois, Mohawk blood, too, and his whole upbringing too was like when he ever voiced curiosity to find out a little more um he was basically told you don't need to worry about that mm -hmm. and it's this total like again kind of denial like his his um elders are sort of like basically rejected this sort of indian yeah in them and it's you know i've kind of talked to him a bit about that too thinking like well I wouldn't be surprised if his grandmother went to residential school. Like, I mean, during that time, it was pretty much mandatory. And, and mm -hmm. to know that she so much rejected that self, that part of herself, yeah. it's, I mean, it's the result of. And yeah, it took something like 40 years before anybody even brought it up or mentioned it, mm -hmm. where it was like, what, really? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really wonderful conversation for our listeners please come check out uh, Native Girl Syndrome at uh, the Monument National it's being presented by Tangente it's November 7th 8th and 9th at 7.30 and November 10th at 4 uh, is there any other resources like websites and whatnot that we can find out about your work and your future projects yeah well I, I have a website it's just uh, laracramer.ca and you can go there I have an update page blog yeah Perfect. calendar for touring yeah again thanks so much for joining us today thank you <laughs> and we're going to cap off this interview with a, a little excerpt from some of the sound from the show native girl syndrome laura what's the sound we're going to be hearing uh well it's a melange of a few artists but this one uh is robert gordon with link ray and the track's called fire i'm driving in my car Turn on the radio I'm pulling you close But you just say no You say you don't like it But girl, I know you're a liar Cause when we kiss Late at night I 
Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet is produced and animated by produced and hosted by Alison Burns, JD Papillon, and Joanie Farhan. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on our website or you can subscribe also on iTunes and our podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.